Let's get this party started. Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Nicole Vulcan, editor of The Source Weekly. I'm flying solo this week as our publisher, Aaron Schweitzer, is taking some much-deserved time off. Ben Don't Break is powered by The Source Weekly, Central Oregon's locally-owned weekly newspaper, and is recorded in the studios of KPOV. I'm joined today by Ricardo Waits. He's a Navy submarine veteran, a father of nine children, a 22-year resident of Central Oregon, and the executive director of Central Oregon Black Leaders Assembly. This past year, in August 2021, he also founded Central Oregon's only black-owned radio station, WBR, or We Black Radio. So needless to say, Mr. Waits has his hands full. Thank you so much for being here, Ricardo. Yeah, thanks, Nicole, for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. So just to start off, for those not familiar, can you give people a little rundown of, of COBLA or Central Oregon Black Leaders Assembly and how you got that started? Sure. Um, in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, um, I watched the uh, video with my daughters um, and the looks on their eyes from watching the video. They believed it was real time. So um, they were looking at me with a look of you know, can't you do something to help, right? And that was the first time I felt like I needed to step up and stop being a couch activist. Uh, so I created a Facebook group called Central Oregon Black Leaders Assembly, hoping to uh, bring all black people together and work together for equity, uh, inclusion, and race racism in Central Oregon. Uh, and we decided we grew so quickly, we decided to become a nonprofit. So now we're official uh, 501c3 nonprofit. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you are doing with COBLA. Um, I wanted to, you know, just start off about talking about some of your programs. You got a lot of things going on all at the same time. One of them is a paid internship program. So tell us a little bit about that, how it's going. Yeah, sure. So um, we uh, offer a paid internship uh, program. And what we try to do is uh, get black and other um, BIPOC community members into positions that will allow them generational wealth or or send them on a path to generational wealth. So we're thinking tech industry, uh, anything medical, um, law enforcement, those things. So we built a database um, that's ever evolving uh, with businesses that would like a free intern who wouldn't want a free intern, right? And then a pool of students and not just students. Also, um, there's a lot of people out there with degrees they're not using, right? Um, that may want to try to take a stab at it and, and can't afford to work for free. Um, so this is an opportunity for them to get back into their occupation of choice and, and take an intern with us and not worry about how they can pay the bills. Yeah. What, so what do you think it's meant for the interns who are part of that to to be part of the internship program? Uh, I think it's been really good. Uh, we've only had two interns, um, but both of them was a very positive experience for both the intern and the business that decided they wanted to to use a COBLA intern. Um, it gave them life skills. The whole point of our internship program is to give black people access to information and and places that they normally can't get into. Um, so for these two individuals, 
that was that opportunity. Um, the business got a great and hard worker, um, and it gives us a chance to do what I call uh, community opportunity programs where everybody in the community can join in. Yeah, very cool. Um, another um, program that you're you're working on is a is called the Good Deeds Program. So, uh, you know, a topic that many people became aware of during the Black Lives Matter movement or at the advent um, was looking at systemic racism and how many rules, laws, and even deeds are still in effect today in Oregon. Some of our black exclusion laws put into place to keep black people out of Oregon or punish them if they stayed were on the books into the 2000s. Of course, this led to segregation where people could be where, you know, and where people could be housed to the inability for people to amass general generational wealth, like you mentioned. Um, so some people might not even know that in, in their their deeds, the titles to their homes are still some of these um, uh, racially based covenants. So tell us a little bit about what COBLA is doing, what, what that effort is all about. Sure. And. Before I tell you what we're doing with it, let me explain why it's important because yeah. you went over, and you're right, um, these covenants are no longer legal. So a lot of people would ask me the question, why do it if it can't be enforced, right? And let me tell you the importance of it. One, it's a visual for people of color when they go to purchase a home, which is a really big event for most people of color, um, when you go to purchase a home and you find this in your deed and it's an eyesore, it can make people feel less than. Um, but the flip side to that is there's opposition in this, right? And they can use these homes and properties with these land deeds or these covenants to educate their kids on how, see, it's it's real. We can keep them out, right? You can't believe what you're taught in school. You can't believe what society is saying. Here's the law right here. It's written right on our deed. So in effect, the Good Deeds program can take another educational tool for the opposition away. That's why it's important, right? Um, so what we've done is we've made a open link um, that anyone can access um, that when you go there, there's a PowerPoint. It tells you what uh, racially based covenants are. Uh, and then there's a bunch of aid in there that's been gathered by uh, four different law firms, lawyers from four different law firms. Um, all the paperwork you need to have it removed for free. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we've done. Uh, and that link has been adopted by the Fair Housing Council. It's on their brochures and on their website, and it's starting to uh, spread around, right? To yeah. See. You were you were telling me we had an earlier conversation about, you know, I guess I was under the impression that it's like in your individual deed, but you were saying it's more common to find it like in a in an HOA situation. Is that how I am I recalling yeah, a, that? A lot of these covenants are being found in HOA uh, neighborhoods, right? In places that you wouldn't expect. But um, this was very calculated movements back then. I, I love to call it the opposition because that's what it is, right? But um, they're, they're intelligent. They're smart. They know how to make moves not for just today, but 10 years, 20 years down the line. And look how systemically they've They've cornered us, really, right? We we have no place to live. That's not where 
we want to live, right? We don't have the choice of moving where we want to live. And if we try, there may be a covenant there that will be an eyesore to us or discourage us or anything like that. So it's just really important that people of color, black people especially, uh, in Central Oregon, understand that there's access to information like this, and we're here to help. So what does the process look like? I mean, does it cost, you know, how much does it cost to get this done? Um, it's free. Okay. Um, the courts passed a law, and uh, I don't want to give a year, but it was a while ago, um, that guarantees that the process is free. There's no uh, court fees at all. So, And we have copies of all the paperwork you can download from the open link. You can give us a call, and we'll have people help you fill it out if need be. Um, whatever we can do um, to help anyone who's interested in uh, removing these covenants, we're willing to do. Great. Thanks so much. Um, so I mentioned we were talking about generational wealth. You also have a program helping people save money. Um, you know, let's talk about that because that sounds really incredible. This is uh, a new program for us. Um, it's a new partnership for us. Um, and it's through a organization called Casa of Oregon. Uh, and what it is is this a match savings program. Uh, we get two applicants uh, in a 13-month period. Uh, and if those applicants can save $2,400 of their own money, we'll match that with $12,000. Uh, and they can use that to go to school, buy a car, buy a home, start a business, uh, do some work on their home, home improvement. Um, but what's really exciting for me is uh, we get a chance to uh, go into the schools now because we decided to use two applicants. One applicant should be an adult trying to do something in life. The other one, we want to help young black and other uh, BIPOC members of the community um, help themselves get to that next stage of education or buy a car and help themselves. So we can do this savings program for kids as young as 13. Um, and it's an intense 13-month process they go through. They get financial literacy training uh, as well as close relationship with with us as we, we try to mentor these young people. Uh, and they can take a little bit off their parents' bill, right, and and help them uh, pay for college. So we're really excited about this program, uh, excited to have our first two applicants apply. Uh, they're just now going through the application process, and we look forward to the future for these, these people. What does it look like to apply to that? I mean, is there a certain criteria you have to... Yeah, you have to make uh, under $20,000, and you have to have under $20,000 in assets. You have to live in a rural area, so you can't live in Bend and qualify for uh, the program. Got it. Um, and uh, like I said, 13 and up, and uh, you have to use the money in Oregon. So those are basically the basis of it. It's, it's not hard to qualify at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about your radio station, but, you know, before we kind of move on with some of the stuff that you're doing with Kobla, I just want to know, you know, you, you told me you were looking in at your daughters and you wanted to do something. Now it's been, you know, two years, essentially, since you started this. Why are you doing it now? What, 
Why do you do this work? Same reason, this one right here, right? Um, since we've begun this, uh, I've seen the changes in my daughters, uh, what my work and what them witnessing and sometimes participating in the work has done um, for their mental health, right? Because uh, if you know me at all, you know my daughters have been uh, through racially biased incidents in school every year they've gone to school. Um, last year was the first year they started speaking up for themselves and and trying to bring education, not just being mad or screaming, but bringing education to those who were um, abusing her. Um, and I'm really proud of that fact. Um, it's important to me to share everything with them so they have a clear understanding of what's going on, why I do what I do. Me and Kaya just had this conversation yesterday of why I do what I do, right? Um, and it's it's just that that's what keeps me going, the idea that someday I won't have to worry who's going to call her the N-word in school, right? I won't have to worry that she doesn't have a teacher that looks like her in school, right? Um, just things like that. That's what keeps me going. Do you think... Um... Well, let me let me ask this a different way. Um, have you have you spoken with you know school officials um, about the incidents that have happened to your children, and what's been the response? Uh, yeah, so I had an incident. I was uh, my daughter was one of the hundred and thirty or whatever incidents, racially biased incidents in school last year. Um, a young man called her the N word. Um, she properly educated the young man on the spot, which I was really proud of her for doing so. Um, I have always been in close contact with the assistant principal at my daughter's school, so we have a good relationship. He called me right away, informed me what was going on, um, and told me uh, what the punishment or the result was going to be. And the result was the young man had to write my daughter uh, apology letter. He wrote me an apology letter, uh, and he had to inform his parents what he did. Um, I didn't think that was good enough, but I was impressed that they addressed it at all, mm -hmm. um, because in previous years they didn't, right? Or they would um, share blame and say somehow my daughter was part of the reason it happened. Um, so uh, I kind of let it go. A few weeks after, there was a event at school where parents were invited, um, and I wanted to see my daughter's exhibit, so I went to class. Um, and it was a good time to go because the DEI director was also in attendance. Um, so I went to my daughter's class, and I waited for the parents of the little boy who uh, called my daughter the N-word to approach me. And I waited, not out of arrogance, I just waited because I'm real easy to find, right? I'm the only black guy in the room. I didn't know what they looked like, um, which is one mistake the school made. Um, so uh, after nobody approached me, I had to ask my daughter, which one's the, the kid and where's his parents? And she told me, so I approached them, uh, introduced myself, told them who I was, and the husband said, oh, yes, right? 
But the wife looked shocked. She didn't know why I was introducing myself. And I said, I'm, I'm the father of the little girl your, your son called the N-word. And her mouth just dropped. She, she didn't even know um, uh-huh. that, that that had happened. So um, they clearly hadn't talked about it. Um, and so we talked about it. He gave the usual expressions. Um, but he doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know we have a team that researched him and understand why his son said what he said now. Um, So after that happened, there was a big assembly in the auditorium, and um, Kinsey Martin was speaking. And after she finished speaking, I approached her, um, and uh, I approached her because I had emailed her over a month in advance and asked her about her plans for DEI that I had seen in a board school board meeting. Um, and she promised to get back to me and didn't. Uh, so I introduced myself, and she immediately, hey, um, and said she would get those documents to me. Um, and then I spoke with another teacher. Um, but for me, what should have happened was the school should have got the parents together when the incident happened so they could dialogue with each other. Um, and then when you have a meeting like this, I'm me. I'm who I am, right? I joined the submarine force because I'm not the guy to carry an M16 and kill another person, right? I don't want to do anything like that. Um, so, but if I was a different person or if I had been to uh, another country and fought for our, our country in, in, in combat and had some type of PTSD going on that way, um, that could have been an ugly situation in a classroom full of kids. Um, so somebody should have met us at the door and said, look, we're going to talk it out tonight, later, and get some time. Um, but nobody ever did that. And it didn't seem like the school was interested in what a parent who had, whose child had been uh, a victim of racism uh, had to say. A um, couple of weeks after that, still no word from Kenzie Martin, uh, and we had the march of Pilot Butte. I had invited the uh, superintendent of schools, Dr. Cook, to attend. And I did that purposely because I wanted him to know that Ms. Martin was not getting back to me. And um, he passed the message, and she got right back to me while I was making my speech on Pilot Butte. Um, but and sent me the documents that I need. But it shouldn't take a superintendent to do that, right? I'm a parent. My daughter was abused in school. There's laws that protect us from that. You have a zero tolerance policy, but I don't see anything. What does it mean? What message does it send to my daughter when nothing gets done? Um, So, I mean, you started off, you know, sounding a little bit positive, saying, oh, hey, they 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 responded in a way that they hadn't in a few years or a few years prior. Ever. Ever. Um, are you feeling positive of the direction of, you know, how the schools are handling stuff uh, now? Or do you feel like we're on a right trajectory? I think when um, when I was speaking of me feeling good about it, it was when it first happened. It's more okay. out of surprise. Oh, my gosh. They talked to me, they care, they did something, because previously, nothing, right? Nothing, or they tried to make it my daughter's fault. 
Um, so that was my first reaction. And I even called the vice principal uh, a little bit later and said, you know what? I'm really not happy with um, what's been going on. Um, so as of right now, today, I'm not. It, there's too much going on where we shouldn't have this type of rancid racism going through our school, especially elementary school. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough when you see it with the the young ones who, you know, they didn't make that up on their own. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to see, you know, happen in our schools that isn't happening right now as pertains to students of color? What have I what I've suggested is um, to change your thought process. I like what they're trying to do as far as implementing more inclusive literature, more inclusive artwork, um, being more creative in discussing the past, right? And they got this bill that's about to happen in 2023. You got to do all these changes. That's great. What we need to do is have the principals in every school enforce your zero tolerance policy for racism and biased behavior. How you do that? You do that by um, the punishment of the offenders. You give them one, everybody gets a goodie, right? It, you don't know what happened that day. You don't know where these children are getting these, you know where it's coming from, right? Um, but when they're doing it in school, it's because they're angry and they have all these emotions going. They may, they don't really feel racist. They're too little, right? Um, so what you need to do is you need to get to the parents. Look, there's an incident. Your son had a racially biased incident or your son's bullying kids at school. You now have mandatory pickup for him after school, right? When these parents start missing out on a little bit of their paycheck, They'll talk to their kids. They won't tell them to stop being racist, but they'll tell them not to do it in school. And that's all I can ask, right? Um, the parents and the and of the offenders and the the uh, victims need to be introduced. They need to talk and dialogue. Um, and the schools got to enforce and support that, right? And if we still can't get it done after that. It's 2022, almost 2023. Offenders can go to school online because um, there shouldn't be racism in school. And um, there's an act that says my child's not supposed to be discriminated against in school. And yet they are. And nobody's doing anything. Yeah, I do know uh, it's only been in the recent years that Ben Lapine Schools has started tracking um, these incidents, you know, prior to that, there was no tracking. So you don't know if you're improving or getting worse if you have no, you know, numbers of tracking. But that reminded me that you also have something similar going on at Cobla, where you you're in the, the business of developing this app to track racially biased incidents. So tell me where that's all where that's at. Sure. And before I tell you that, uh, and if Ben Lapine Schools is tracking this stuff, they didn't tell me that when I asked the director of DEI hmm. uh, how to get those numbers. They were still in the process of figuring that out, which yeah. is also scary. Um, but um, what were you talking about? <laughs> I was. I wanted to talk about the We Good app. Oh, the We Good, the We Got Us Directory app is uh, okay. what the initials stand for. Thank the military for making me create all these acronyms for things. <laughs> um, it's another community opportunity program um, that allows us to track 
have an application that tracks uh, social or racially biased incidents and uh, uh, acts of racism in the whole central Oregon area. So you would potentially open this app where you are. It would show where you are and then show the locations of incidents around you. So it gives you an idea of what areas are safer uh, than other areas. And I think this app is very important and can be used by everyone um, to to help save lives. This app can save lives just by opening it. Uh, I really believe if Barry Washington Jr. had this app, then he probably would be alive today. Um, and definitely um, the countless other black people who have been assaulted in this town who have not reported it um, could use this app. Visitors could use this app. We had that young man come here who did the hiking and mountain climbing who mm-hmm. uh, was called the N-word. When he, he probably needed that app. He could have found a place to go out and enjoy himself that night. Um, yeah, so. that made me think instantly when you're talking about that, about that that young man who came here, had this incident, and then he has this impression of a community, you know, and it doesn't seem like he's off base with that impression. What What's going through your mind when you hear these stories from visitors? And Why doesn't Ben hear them is what goes through my mind. Um, it really makes me feel like Ben doesn't care about black folks or uh, people of color in general here. We do all these uh, land decrees before board meetings and uh, all these letters to the public, how they they care. Um, but we only get those letters when someone dies or there's real tragedy, right? The day-by-day things that are going on in the city are not being addressed. I've spoken out about the two city councilors who attacked black men in this city for the last year now. Uh, nobody's doing anything about that. There's just so many things going on uh, where people who shouldn't uh, be acting the way they are, are. And it's not just white people either. It's other people of color are, are guilty of these offenses as well. Yeah. Well, I want to move to the fun stuff, yes. the radio. Yes. Tell us about WBR a little bit. Um, Why did you start it? Where can people find it? And what's on there? Um, see, you, what, you said you want to get the fun stuff, but WBR uh, started because of something bad, right? Oh, I, wow. I, I, w- I used to have a show here on KPOV, um, and due to some socially biased activities, uh, I quit um, and bought my own station. So it's Internet Radio. It's registered with the city of Bend and the state of Oregon. Um, so it's officially the first black-owned radio station in Central Oregon. You can pick it up in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. And it streams from weblackradio.org. So um, we were listening to it together not too long ago, uh, you know, and it was when you were playing music. Mm -hmm. Um, And what else can, you know, people find on there besides, you know, different different music playing throughout the day? Well, um... We Black Radio is a community station, right? It plays black genre 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But um, I want everybody to understand everyone loves black culture music, right? Black, white, Hispanic, uh, Latinx, 
whoever, right? Because it's it's good music and it's good sound. So um, we're always looking for DJs. We take DJs of all colors. The only requirement is that you stay in the black genre when you do that. Uh, I have a talk show there. We have another uh, talk show uh, on that comes on on Monday nights um, at four. Um, that's a really good show by, uh, I call them the Black Israelites. They talk about uh, black people being truly Israel uh, Israelites and, and educate people there. Um, and we just have a, such a broad range of music going that can't be played 24 hours a day by the other stations that it's, it's just a great place to tune in. So, I mean, clearly, if you're running the station 24 hours a day, that's a lot of work. How do you keep that all going with such a small staff or small team? A lot a lot of, of hunger, right? Um, our team is really little, but they're aggressive and they're go-getters and they don't want to quit and they have no quit in them. They recognize the importance, especially economically, what WBR brings to Citro, Oregon. As we integrate the rest of the community um, into our thinking, um, it'll be more evident and more obvious what a good thing this is, right? Right now, we're just trying to convince these other stations uh, what KPOV and Power 94 already know know that uh, we're not here to hurt nobody. We're here to enhance what they already do. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, we've gone, you know, done a long overview of this busy man, Ricardo Waits from Central Oregon Black Leaders Assembly and WBR Radio. So I just want to ask you before we wrap up, um, Mr. Waits, do you have like, of all these programs, one that just you wake up in the morning and you just want to get after it because you think that is just the thing that is going to, you know, change society or help the most? I'm in love with the internship program. It is my baby. It's what we originally got our nonprofit on. Um and although there's some opposition to it, um, it's the one that would bring generational wealth the best. It's the one that the community can join in and help these young people get to that level the most. It's the one that shows these black people and people of color that their community cares the most. So I would say that, but I love all of our programs and and what we do in general. Yeah. If someone wants to get involved with the internship program or any of the programs we're talking about today, where should they head to? They can go to uh, info at mycobla.org. They can go to our website or any of our social media pages. We're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all of the social media, uh, they can stop me in the street. I'm always open um, to meeting new people and talking about what we need to do to collaborate as a community and bring more equity to black people in town. Um, yeah, that's it. Cool. Anything else that I missed today that you that you want to discuss? Uh, no, but I, I really want to say uh, out there to everyone – we need to come together, right? We need to come together. Everybody knows what's happening. Very few are moving 
very few are in the fight. Um, and that sends a strong message to people of color. It's why we have so much transition here. It's why we feel ostracized when we come here. And there's a lot of good people in Central Oregon that don't want that. So we need all of those people to unify. Um, if you don't unify or or uh, empathize with any other group, uh, we've made it really easy for you to empathize and grow with us um, because we're a community base, right? Community opportunity is number one. So, um, but if you don't like us, get with somebody, do something um, to move things forward because the opposition's winning right now um, and we don't want them to get the full victory. Thanks so much. Ricardo Waits is the founder and executive director of Central Oregon Black Leaders Assembly and the founder of We Black Radio. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, Nicole. Can my daughter say hi? Yeah. Say hi, Kaya. You want to say hi? Maybe she doesn't. <laughs> say hi. Hi. <laughs> I think that was her impression of Ricardo. I'm not sure, though. That's her best radio voice. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you.